Now, we wish to drill down into this phenomenon of the false church referred to as a prostitute. We spoke of the spirit of prostitution that has been here with us since the beginning of time and reaches its apogee in the end of the age as part of the concluding events at the end of the age and judgment coming upon it. Let's backtrack or backpedal from there and now look at this phenomenon uh, in the book of Revelation. It's so obvious that we don't think nor do we anticipate or expect to see biblical references to things that are commonplace around us. Everybody knows, everyone knows. Um, We'd have to be living in a cave and that in a time warp not to know that church is not what it appears to be. Everybody who goes to church, it's rare that anyone goes to church who doesn't think this isn't it. But absent what it is, they'll settle for what what they're presented. And then there are groups of people, church groups, that one wonders how in God's name could the people continue to be members of those things when they're so obviously and blatantly wrong. I mean, how could you justify, for example, being in a church, being a member of a church in which the leadership has for hundreds of years, not occasionally, not a few rotten apples, but the entire structure is rotten, raped and plundered the children. What? justifies that. Well, I want to look into that. But at a surface level, one asks the question, what are people thinking? How could, uh, to switch it, how could people, how could the Russian people be members of a church that solidly supports a brutal dictator bombing a maternity ward or theater where people are huddled in the basement to avoid uh, the, the, the rocket onslaughts that destroying their, their apartments and houses. And they've done nothing to warrant this sort of wanton raining of death upon them. How could the Russian people be members of Kirill's church, the Russian Orthodox Church? How could anybody be a follower 
any more of someone like Kenneth Copeland, who was publicly shamed by God himself, claiming to be a prophet of God, speaking for God, <laughs> and he did so at the beginning of COVID, blowing as if the breath of his mouth was the breath of God. And hundreds of thousands of deaths later and millions of infections later, how could they appear again in front of the people and say what? But they do and the people believe them. So this phenomenon of a false church and false leaders is staring us in the face. There is no way to wash it clean of its taint. It's like Lady Macbeth could not wash her hands clean of the blood of the king in the Shakespearean drama Macbeth. These people cannot absolve themselves from the extreme corruption. This isn't a little bit of something. This isn't a, a misstep. This is a thing that is corrupt in its nature. So much so as to be a tool of the enemy and firmly opposed to Christ. In making these comments, I am not, I'm not attempting to suggest that anybody or everybody who goes to a church is like this. No. No, they're, they're not. They're people in these institutions who love God, who truly love God, but they don't know anything different. But I'm saying that a thinking person, reasonable intelligence, would ask themselves, why am I a member of a church whose leadership has a history, known history, not a small thing, it's endemic to the thing itself, of the abuse of people in the horrifying ways that it is, it's in our faces. It's not like, not like nations were uh, co-opted into the silence, it's in our faces. Where is our conscience? Where is our conviction? So we're seeing these things and yet we attempt to justify them. We're conflating the role of a prostitute with that of a bride and what I'm here to tell you is the Bible makes it altogether obvious that such a false entity claiming to be the bride of Christ does exist. Let's explore what it is. When we're done, if you continue to decide that it doesn't matter to you, then you have not heeded the warning of these messages and you will be deceived. In fact, arguably, you are already deceived.
Your blood is not on my head. On my hands. It's on your own. Because you've been warned. See, when the truth comes, you can no longer plead innocence having heard the truth. You cannot say you didn't know. Then you're held accountable. God never just gives you an advisory opinion. When He speaks to you, He means for you to hear. To hear. All right. Chapter 17, Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. In chapter 16, the, the, the bowls of God's final wrath are being poured out because it's the final analysis. We're down to the wire, so to speak. The, end, the very end of the age is approaching and God is not holding back because times have become desperate. This is a time when you either hear the word of the Lord and come in to the safety of His house or you continue to behave as normal and the wrath of God poured out upon the earth by these angelic declarations will affect you. Can't be somewhere in between. The day of grace has reached a point of confrontation where you must choose. All right, now. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. With whom the kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth, so not just the kings, but the inhabitants of the earth together with their kings, were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. That's the imagery of being seduced. Made drunk, your senses dulled, impairing your judgment with the wine of her fornication. So she is a seducer, she's seductive and having seduced both kings and people alike, she sits on them as one who sits upon many waters which waters have a multiple of meanings. One of the meanings is humanity. Another of the meanings is word, word, propaganda. When used in conjunction, when waters are used in conjunctions, conjunction with God, they refer to the eternal word of God, that which brings light and understanding and upon which we may place our hope when God has said, such as, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 
and the same became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the eternal person of the living God whose utterances are the foundations of our faith. They are our epistemology from the word pistis which means faith. We place our faith in the eternal Word of God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He has uttered. But word in general means other things such as when used in connection with uh, people, it means the people of the world and it also means a corrupted word, a lying word. So they were made drunk with a lying word, these people and their kings. What does drunk with a lying word, what does that imply? That the church told them, this harlot false church told them what they wanted to hear. A thing that the Scriptures make very plain will happen in the end of the age, that men will not endure the soundness of the truth but having itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers for whatever they lust for and they'll turn from the truth and will turn to fables. This isn't about the body of Christ where God is faithfully represented by those who know Him, by fathers who know Him who is from the beginning. No, this is about something else, a deceiving word. Therefore, this word that deceives the nations and their kings alike comes from a false church, comes from that which is organized along what people want to hear. This has depths of meaning that I wish to get to in subsequent messages, such as a mouth that arises in the form of a horn on one of the seven heads of this beast on which the woman sits, and a horn with with a mouth speaking blasphemous things against the Most High and against those who dwell in heaven, uh, those who are the naos of God, the dwelling place of God, whose orientation is toward the truth and the things that are true in heaven, even if they're living upon and acting out of, living upon the earth and acting upon the earth, they're acting and living out of a heavenly grace. This little horn speaks blasphemous things. This beast upon which the woman sits, and I'm ahead of myself in it, in this, this beast upon which the woman sits speaks blasphemous things against God. These are religious utterances. Anyway, that's the nature of the beast, I mean, that's the nature of this prostitute. Her fornication is not a sexual fornication, it's the deceptive allurement, much like the attraction of a prostitute to a client, 
there's a deceptive allurement. The promise of experiencing the sexual favor of a woman, but at a price. It's a pure transaction. There's no love attached to it, certainly no potential of oneness, indeed a distortion of the greater good that exists as the form of a relationship between a husband and a wife. It's a counterfeit. So the wine of that fornication is word, word, itching ears. The clients have an itching ear, have itching ears, and the word seduces them like the allure of of sexual favor seduces the client of a prostitute. That's the comparison. So he says, come, I'll show you her because she is now set for judgment. That tells us she's been around for a while, the practice of her seduction of of kings and of nations alike is a well-established reality, it's reached its apogee, it's gone as far as God will allow, which also is as far as it can go. So now it's time for it to be judged. So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication." In other words, that's a direct parallel to inhabitants of the earth being drunk with the wine of her fornication. this deceptive word is held up as if it were a cup, uh, analogizing to uh, with the wine of her fornication. So if you like, the water is like wine and it's, it's in this golden cup, so it appears to be of a precious nature, because it's encased in a precious container of gold, but but what is in it is abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Now you'll notice just right over in the next verse, verse 6, and I've skipped the latter part of verse 5, I'll come right back to it. 
it says, she, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Christ. Now keep in mind, what's in the cup is not the blood of the saints. She's drunk with the blood of the saints. She's unsteady on her feet, having waged war and drunk the blood of the saints. But the cup represents the deceptions by which she made drunk the kings and the nations. She's offered the kings and the peoples to drink from this filthy cup. But she herself is drunk with the blood of the saints. She's not drunk with her own filthiness. She's not drunk with her own filthiness. No more than a prostitute is satisfied with her own offerings. That's for the consumer, but she herself has waged war against the saints in the fashion of the enemy as he appeared in Cain who spills the blood of righteous Abel and the focus even then by God was about the blood of Cain's brother. Where are you? Or or Cain, where is your brother? God asks him and he said, how am I to know? Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And in case you think that's that's simply an accidental reference or one of no consequence, when Jesus charged the false church of his day with their malfeasance, the scribes and the Pharisees, He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you are hypocrites. They were the false church, opposed to Christ, ultimately seeking His crucifixion. He said, you have shed all the righteous blood on the earth, beginning with the shedding of the blood of righteous Abel. Righteous Abel, all the way up to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar, so that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. No mistaking who this prostitute is. Over the centuries, beginning with the shedding of righteous Abel's blood, the seed of Cain, who is the seed of Satan, has proceeded through creation, crops up conspicuously at various points in time as the prostitute. And even Jesus Himself brought the accusation against the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people at His day. 
calling them drunk with the blood of the saints, the martyrs of Jesus. Now where do we find her, this woman, who on her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the mother of the abominations of the earth. It seems as though the false church is the location in the earth from which every abominable thing springs. Where do we find her? In the wilderness. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Now you'll <clears throat> you will notice that when he announces the judgment of the great harlot, he said, She's sitting currently on the waters, sitting on the nations, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her together with the inhabitants of the earth. So the wilderness is not an unpopulated place. Wilderness is in the midst of humanity. So then in what regard is it a wilderness if it's not that of an unpopulated place? The wilderness represents the absence of God's presence where God is not. Where the presence of the Lord is, that is a fertile field, well-watered garden. Absence of the Lord, it's a wilderness, a barren place where you encounter the devil. So let's go back and introduce the woman in the wilderness from the book of Revelation chapter 12. There it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor, and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of the heavens and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to His throne. But then what happens to the woman? Then the woman fled into the wilderness. Where do we find the prostitute? in the wilderness, where place was prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. 
as we go on to read, what you'll find is the woman who gave birth to the son caught up to God's throne, enthroned, which would be Christ, that which gave birth to that becomes the prostitute in the wilderness. That's the gap we will close when I come back for further discussion. I'm Sam Solon. We've never thought about this, have we? What happened to the woman in the wilderness? She remained in the wilderness, plying her trade for her survival and changed from one who once had the favor of the Lord to one taken over by the evil one, becoming a primary agent for the deception of the populations of the earth, including deceiving those, some of whom were legitimately seeking God. She's a nasty entity, not one to be be trifled with, not one to be consorted with. I'm Sam Solon. We'll talk more about this when we come back. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.